friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. to go to God's Word. By the way, I'm going to start a new series. Uh, we're going into the book of Esther. The first time I, I'm really going to dive into that book, so I'm really excited about it. like to try my hand on the narratives, and it's going to be a very uh, inspirational book for a lot of us. And so I hope that you will stay tuned to our uh, next series, the book of Esther. But for today, I'd like to preach on the Holy Spirit um, because I was assigned this topic by uh, Living Word IT Park. My son uh, went to Calvary Bible Church. He preached in Burbank, California. And by the way, I'd like to really thank you uh, for your prayers because According to Pastor Tim, uh, he really did very, very well. In fact, I got to listen uh, to his preaching over YouTube, and I was really amazed at how the Lord used and empowered my son. And they were so blessed that some people approached him after the service. In fact, there was somebody who suggested that she, he should now become part of the pastoral staff of Calvary Bible Church. So praise the Lord for that. But <laughs> he's not going anywhere. And he's staying with us here in Cebu. So let's just give the Lord a big hand, please. Praise the Lord. So can we rise from our seats? Let's uh, come before the Lord. Let's come before him in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just like to thank you and praise you for today. We thank you, O oh God, for the opportunity to reacquaint ourselves with the person of the Holy Spirit. And we would like to start correctly. And so allow us to begin by repenting of the fact that at times we have grieved the Holy Spirit. Whether it was about the perceived small sins or big sin, sins that we have committed, we would like to ask for forgiveness. We would also like to ask for forgiveness that we have quenched the Holy Spirit so many times. We have marginalized the Holy Spirit. And right now, we repent of that sin or of those sins, O oh God, and we ask, blessed Holy Spirit, Please minister to your people. I pray for myself that you might create in me the miracle of speaking your word accurately. And you might create in the hearts of your people the miracle of hearing. So that as both miracles take place, you will be able to bring about a spiritual revival in our personal as well as in our corporate lives. Lord, we humbly submit ourselves to you, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let him have preeminence 
right now. And we ask Him to take over our worship gathering. We pray that there will be seriousness of heart. There will be conviction. And we trust, Lord, that all of your good purposes will be accomplished this morning. We would like to give you back all the glory, the praises, and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled uh, this morning's sermon, The Dynamic of the Holy Spirit. Let me share to you a little story. Um, as I mentioned a while ago, I preached at our outreach church in Living Word IT Park. And of course, my grandson attends that service because his father is the one pastoring that church. And so he learned from me and from my wife that I was going to preach at Living Word IT Park. And when he heard about it, he was so excited. And his face was glowing. And he said, really? Are you going to preach at IT Park? And so I said, yes. And then again, as if he could not believe that I was going to preach at IT Park, he asked again, really? You're going to preach? And you know what? At that time, my spirit was being buoyed up because my grandson was encouraging me with his countenance. And then he goes, it's going to be boring. <laughs> He's five years old, by the way. He's... He's a cheeky boy. And as soon as, as he said that, my, my spirits were deflated. So I hope what he said is not going to be prophetic of this morning's sermon. I trust that this sermon will be a blessing to all of us. And let me just share to you a few things that have disturbed my spirit. And of course, you, you probably have heard about this. Just very recently, a 16-year-old girl was possibly raped in Lapu-Lapu City. You heard the story, of course. And when you think about the gory details of what happened to her, you think about what is happening to Cebu. We heard that her tongue was taken out, her esophagus was taken out. She was skinned alive practically. Uh, the face of her skin was removed so that the skull was actually exposed. And such an event is unprecedented. I've never heard of a story like that happening in our city. I've heard some, some horrific stories, but nothing of that sort. And so that disturbed me a lot, and I'm sure a lot of you are likewise disturbed by that. And then, of course, I heard about this survey. I think this, this survey I got about two weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. And this has to do with people who are accessing Pornhub. And we're not talking about males here. Oftentimes, when we talk about pornography, we think that it is a male problem, not really much a female problem. But you know what? According to the survey, it was discovered that our women, we're talking about Filipino women, belong to the top 20 nations that are trying to access Pornhub. 
And we ask ourselves the question, why is this happening to our women? I used to think that we were a conservative society, but statistics prove otherwise. You heard me say um, a few months ago that our country, and we're now talking about the general population, our country is the number one country that is trying to access Pornhub, number one in the world. So the big question is, what is happening to our values? Why is it that our moral fiber is slowly being destroyed? And you know what? If, if that is going to happen, I am really actually very, very scared about our own future as a nation. I'm actually worried about my grandchildren, no longer about my children, I thank God by His grace, my children are saved, my children are serving the Lord. But I have five grandchildren right now. My wife and I have five grandchildren. And they're going to wake up to a world that is going to be different from the world that I woke up to and from the world that their parents woke up to. And I'm really, really scared for them, most especially with the things that are happening to our country. You also heard me say that the suicide rates in our country are spiking up and it's not among the elderly people that this is happening. This is happening among the millennials. You're talking about teenagers. You're talking about people in their early 20s. They're taking their lives and you would like to think that they have so much ahead of them, so much hope, so much to look forward to. And yet, sadly, this is what is happening to our youth. In fact, I heard this horrific story, again in our country, of a five-year-old boy who is addicted to pornography. Five years old, addicted to pornography. Sometimes we parents, just to shut, shut up our children or just so they won't disturb us, what do we do? We give them phones, we give them gadgets, and we don't even take the time to have a look at what they are looking at. These are very, very dangerous times. And that's why I believe that the subject matter about the Holy Spirit is a very important subject matter. Because if we were to compare the church in the book of Acts and the church in the 21st century, there's a wide disparity. There is a big difference. In the book of Acts, we see a church that was sacrificial in their giving. We see a church that was consecrated. We see a church that was devoted to prayer and the study of the Word of God. We see a church that was not thinking about themselves, but was thinking about the kingdom. They were selling their properties for what reason? Because there were Jewish pilgrims who had converted to Christianity and they wanted to stay on in Jerusalem to continue learning about this new faith, this Christianity. 
The problem, of course, was they did not have accommodations. They did not have food. They only had a limited supply. So the brethren in Jerusalem sold their properties just so these people could be accommodated and they could have food. That was the early church in the book of Acts. Right now, in the 21st century, you don't see that happening. In the recent Shepherds Conference where my son TJ attended, he talked about what John MacArthur shared. And this is what John MacArthur shared. He said, many of my pastor friends have fallen to adultery. And you're not talking about ordinary pastors. You're talking about very prominent pastors. Pastors who are known on the world stage. Pastors who hold conferences all throughout the United States and maybe even in some parts of the world. They have fallen to adultery. And John MacArthur was saying, my pastor friends, we do not have to fall. And he said, I am a living testimony that you do not have to fail, that you do not have to fall into adultery. But that, my dear brothers and sisters, is the story of the 21st century church. There is so much complacency. There is so much slothfulness. There is so much filth stain in the church. And sometimes you no longer see the difference between the world and the church. The church has become worldly and the world has become churchy. You no longer know the difference between the two of them. That was not true in the early church. And that's why we look to ourselves, what possible resources do you and I have to be able to counter the destruction of the moral fiber of our country? What can we possibly do? And so when we think in terms of resources, probably we don't have much. Financially, maybe we do not have much resources. Intellectually, maybe we don't have too many resources. In terms of giftings, in terms of service, maybe we're lacking in all of these things. But if there is one thing that we have which is the greatest resource that can practically change and turn a nation upside down, it is the Holy Spirit. Let us not forget what happened in history. The early church transformed the Roman Empire from a pagan empire into a Christian one. Why? Because of the power of Christianity, the power of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, nowadays, we don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's because of the excesses of the charismatic and the Pentecostal movement, there are so many excesses and so many abuses. And as a result of that, people have swung to the other side of the pendulum. But the other side of the pendulum doesn't look good as well. Because on the other side of the pendulum, the Holy Spirit has been marginalized. The Holy Spirit has been put on the periphery. In fact, the Holy Spirit is not even on the discussion table among many believers in Christ. So we talk about the Word of God. We talk about the work of Christ. All of these things obviously are essentials. 
But we have failed to study the Holy Spirit. We have failed to reacquaint ourselves with the Holy Spirit. When you take a look at the book of Acts, we find the prominence of the Holy Spirit. In everything that the apostles were doing, in everything that the deacons were doing, in everything that the prophets were doing, in everything that the evangelists were doing, the Holy Spirit was the one that was initiating the work. The Holy Spirit was the one who was bringing about the conversion of people such that when Peter preached in Pentecost, what happened was three thousand people were converted that day itself. Let me tell you this. A work of 20 and 30 years could be done in one day's time. That was proven in what happened in the day of Pentecost. And that's why I would like to somehow uh, preach to you and teach to you about the Holy Spirit so that somehow there might be an awareness. But awareness is not the only thing I want to happen here. I want us to have an experienced faith. I want us to have an experienced awareness of the Holy Spirit. Because that's exactly what you and I see in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. As they commune with the Holy Spirit, their faith was an experienced one. They really had an encounter with God. And I do not want people coming in here merely having an encounter with words. Merely having an encounter with the scriptures. Now I'm not in any way downplaying the importance of scriptures. Without the scriptures, we could not be delivered. Without the scriptures, we could not be saved. Without the scriptures, we could not grow spiritually mature. Without the scriptures, we cannot have guidance. We cannot have spiritual strength. But let me tell you this. What causes us to have transformed lives is when the Holy Spirit applies those scriptures in our hearts such that we become convicted of our sins and we have this determination and resolution to obey and follow Christ. That is why we cannot downplay the importance of the Holy Spirit. We need to talk about the Holy Spirit. And if we think about what has happened in the Old Testament, for example, we hear of believers or psalmists saying, a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. Now, how could they possibly say that unless their faith was an experienced one? Unless they themselves had an encounter with God. How could the psalmist say, in your presence is fullness of joy? I mean, what is the presence of God? And what is fullness of joy unless it is something that you have actually experienced? How could the psalmist even say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good if he himself had not tasted the goodness of God? There was an encounter. There was an experienced faith. That is why they could speak out in boldness and in confidence. They could say, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. It's about an experienced faith. And before I proceed on, let me just ask you this question. 
Is your faith an experienced faith? Is your faith a faith that will make you speak boldly about what God has done in your life and how He has manifested His goodness, His favor, and His grace in your life? Does it bring tears of joy when you talk about these things? Is there an excitement, an enthusiasm that bubbles up in your heart whenever you talk about the things of God, whenever you talk about your encounter with the Lord? Is it something that is really alive? Is it something that is real, something that is genuine? People know when you're talking about something that's genuine or you're simply mouthing it or it's simply lip service. People know that. People know if you are genuinely passionate. People know if you're genuinely in love with God. People know if you are really devoted to Christ. And that is what we're talking about. We're not really interested about exercising our Christian traditions and then nothing takes place. I've been to the United Kingdom several times and my wife and I have experienced what it is to be a post-Christian nation. We have seen so many beautiful cathedrals that are no longer in use or otherwise used for something else. Can you imagine, for example, a church building that is now being used as a strip tease bar? Where you have naked women dancing and men just, just looking and staring at these naked bodies. And you know what? In this, in this place where you have this triptych bar, they have not even respected the fact that it used to be a church building. You know what? They did not even take out the cross. It's a striptease bar, but the cross is still there. They could have removed it, but they did not. It is as if they're actually insulting God, insulting the God who was nailed to the cross. So many cathedrals and buildings there have become empty. I have preached to some churches there wherein I have preached to very old people. And I'm thinking when these old people die, What's going to happen to this church building? It's going to be empty again. And that's exactly what has happened. Some churches have become warehouses. Some churches have become places for ballroom dancing. I was able to visit a place there, which is the summer house of John Wesley. He would go there on a spiritual retreat. It's called Mocop. And... I believe that when we first went to that place, there was even a marker there that said this used to be the summer house where John Wesley would have a retreat. The last time we went there, that marker was no longer there. It has now become, would you believe, a witch's cove. A witch's cove. One time we were eating our meals. And of course, as usual, as is our practice, we prayed. We prayed before the Lord, thanking God for the grace on our table. One gentleman, a, 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 a huge gentleman, I mean really huge, I mean he was big, 
and well, he was quite old, white hair, and he was bearded. He approached our table, and I looked at him, and I, I really freaked out. I got scared. I said, what is this guy going to do? Then he points to, to me, and he says, you have put me to shame. You have put me to shame. And I was thinking, what did I do to offend this gentleman? And he was big. He was very intimidating. And then he goes, I am a pastor. And we never pray before meals. You have put me to shame. You have rebuked me with your prayer. That, my dear brothers and sisters, is the state of the United Kingdom right now. Now let me ask you this question. With what is happening to our country right now? With our moral fiber being destroyed, do you think that we're just one generation away from being post-Christian? I fear for my grandchildren. I fear for the future of this nation. That's why I believe if there's one thing that will change the, the spiritual atmosphere of this country, it is the Holy Spirit. So forgive me for this very lengthy introduction. But you know, my heart is just deeply burdened by all the things that are taking place in our country, and I cannot help but just blurt these, these things out. Hopefully, it might create an awareness, a consciousness that we are in very difficult times. In fact, maybe that is an understatement. We belong to dangerous, dangerous times. So let me present this sermon by asking a few questions about the Holy Spirit. First up, how important is the Holy Spirit as a resource in our lives? Now, I believe we can see the importance of the Holy Spirit by counting the number of times that is actually used. Now, I will not go to the Petrine, the Johannine epistles, nor the Gospels. I will just concentrate on the 13 letters of Paul. Now, just in the 13 letters of Paul, you will find the occurrence of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Greek word used for the Holy Spirit is the Greek word pneuma, and it is mentioned 145 times in only 13 epistles. 145 times in 13 epistles. Now, that's a lot. That only tells us that, that Paul talked about the Holy Spirit a number of times, quite a number of times. Which speaks about the fact that we should really pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And pay attention to His ministry. Because without the Holy Spirit, and I will explain this later on, the church would be non-existent. In fact, you know what? We would be non-existent. The Holy Spirit is so important and so relevant. And if the chief apostle himself placed great emphasis on the Holy Spirit, should we not 
put great emphasis on the Holy Spirit as well? I say the answer is yes. And I pray today you will open your heart right now. Because the truth of the matter is we have grieved the Holy Spirit so many times. We have grieved Him every time we are proud in our spirits. We have grieved Him every time there's bitterness in our hearts. We have grieved Him every time there is lust in our hearts. We have grieved Him every time we're covetous and envious. We have quenched the Holy Spirit when He has asked us to do certain things and we don't mind Him. So I pray to God that we will not neglect the Holy Spirit today. Now, who is this resource, the Holy Spirit? Let me say this very succinctly. The Holy Spirit is God Himself. Could you say to your neighbor, the Holy Spirit is God? Now, I believe we can all mentally agree to that. But sadly, we neglect it. I'd like to refer you to the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, I was sharing to you the fact that the church was very sacrificial in their giving. And what happened was Ananias and Sapphira wanted to put up a a facade that they were also equally generous just like all the rest. And they pretended that they had actually given all the proceeds of a sold property. But the truth of the matter was they withheld a portion of it. But their presentation to the apostles is, we've given it all. In other words, they lied. And because they lied, they paid a stiff price for lying. And let me go to that uh, particular passage where this happened. Take a look at Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And it says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Now listen up. What does it say? You have not lied to men, but to God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, while true evangelicals agree on this particular statement of faith, many have found the Holy Spirit difficult to understand. I recall one particular student who said to his theology professor, God the Father makes perfectly good sense to me, and God the Son I can quite understand, but the Holy Spirit is one long oblong blur. One time a Sunday school teacher was trying to explain to a child about the Holy Spirit. And so the the teacher took a piece of paper and blew on it so that it flew away. And the teacher said, well, this is an illustration of the Holy Spirit. You don't see Him, but you see the effects of the Holy Spirit. And the child just blurted out and said... But I want you to make the Holy Spirit uninvisible. In other words, show me the Holy Spirit. And to a lot of people, it might be similar. Now, we don't have much difficulty in understanding and appreciating God the Father, most especially God the Son, because through the incarnation, He was fleshed out to us. And this is stated 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, allow me to read this. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, make, I'm sorry, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Through the incarnation, God was fleshed out to us. So it is easy to be able to understand the ministry of Christ. But the Holy Spirit has fallen short of being understood even as a person. In fact, unconsciously, sometimes we refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, an IT, an it, not a he. And we do that unconsciously. And sometimes we're simply thinking the Holy Spirit is only an influence or is only a power but not a person. Again, we go to the scriptures. What do we discover? The Holy Spirit is a person. Let me, let me show you Romans 8 verse 27, please. Take a look at Romans 8 and verse 27. It goes, And he that searcheth the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Now, the first he here is the Lord Jesus Christ. As we find it in verse 34, the context says that the first he is Christ. But take a look at the second he. Let's go to uh, the text once again. It says, And he, Christ, that searches the hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, this time it is referring to the Holy Spirit, because he, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Could you say to your neighbor, the Holy Spirit is not an it? Say to your other neighbor, the Holy Spirit is a he. Now, maybe our failure to understand the Holy Spirit is due to the fact that it was given the title of Spirit of Christ. And oftentimes when, when we hear that title, it seems like the Holy Spirit is a subordinate person or even a subordinate power. But that's not actually what the Spirit of Christ implies. In fact, the Spirit of Christ actually tells us that, that the Holy Spirit is equal in substance and equal in essence with Christ. I believe that's what the title is really trying to say. He is equal in substance and equal in essence. And oftentimes we don't treat the Holy Spirit in that manner as being equal in substance and equal in essence. Now taking it from the words of Jesus Christ himself, take a look at John chapter 14 and this time verse 16 please. Look at what it says here. It goes, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. It says, he shall give you another comforter. Now, let me provide the context by which the Lord Jesus Christ spoke this. Jesus was actually telling his disciples that he would be betrayed, that he would suffer, that he would die. But many of the disciples were not hearing it. They were still in denial. For after all, they had sold everything. I mean, they had given up everything. Their fishing and trading business, they gave it up. Why? Because they followed Christ because they thought this was going to be the Messiah that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And so they gave up everything to follow him. And so when he was announcing that he was going to die, 
They were not hearing it. But Jesus needed to tell them that he was going to die. That he will no longer be with them. Because for three years, he had been with them. They dined with Christ. They slept together with Christ. They traveled together with Christ. And whenever they had questions uh, over, over the dining table, they could ask Christ about certain questions and they would get a ready answer. They saw how Jesus performed miracles, how he multiplied bread and fish, how he resurrected people from the dead. They saw how Jesus cast out demons. They were completely, totally, absolutely dependent on Christ for three long years. And now Christ was saying, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to depart. Where I go, you cannot go. Now obviously the Lord Jesus knew that was going to devastate them. If I were in their place, I would definitely be devastated. Being fully and totally dependent on Christ. And that is why Christ had to say, you don't need to worry. Because another is going to come. Another person in the blessed trinity is going to come. And he is of the same substance and of the same essence. It is just as if I never left you. Because he will be there to comfort you. He will be there to guide you into all truth. He will teach you all truth. He will empower you and he will anoint you. And, and through him, you will be able to perform the miracles that you performed when I was with you. You will be able to, to have an answer to people who have difficult questions against you. It is as if I am tutoring you and mentoring you. It is just as if I am there. A lot of us would say, how I wish... I was born during the time of Christ when he was with his disciples. What a privilege that would be. And of course, it would be. Why would it not be? But then again, if we think in terms of us being less privileged, I think it is a wrong kind of thinking. It is wrong for us to perceive that we are less privileged as the disciples of long ago. Because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken the place of Christ right now. The Holy Spirit is the way God is now present. Could you say that please? The Holy Spirit is the way God is now present. So again, we're not less privileged. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence in us today. The Holy Spirit is God's way of being powerfully present in our lives and the Christian community. So don't ever say we're less privileged. The Holy Spirit is a fundamental component of the Christian life. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. There is no sanctification. There is no glorification. There is no empowering. There is no giftings in the church. No body of Christ. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, there will be no church and there will be no Christian. We exist for the simple reason that we have the Holy Spirit. That the church of Jesus Christ was birthed by the Holy Spirit in the Feast of Pentecost. That was how the church was born. The Holy Spirit is Christ's experience, I'm sorry, the Christian's experience, reality of God himself. So that the Christian faith 
is not merely theological and academic. It is an experienced faith. And again, I just have to ask you this question. Is your faith an experienced faith? Is your faith something that emboldens you and radically changes your life? Is it something that empowers you? It's, is it something that has made you a better person? Obviously, the things that you used to do, you no longer do them right now. If you were an alcoholic before, you no longer drink alcohol right now. If you used to be into drugs, you no longer do drugs right now. If you were a smoking addict just like I was, smoking two to three packs of cigarettes a day, obviously that should no longer be happening to you right now because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because of our experienced faith. If you used to be an immoral person, that should no longer be true right now. You should be a very moral person. We're talking about a genuine faith here. And I think we, we need to be able to talk about a genuine faith because sometimes our faith in the Lord might be fake. And if it's, a, if it's a faith fake, it's not going to bring us to heaven. We're not going to have our names written in the book of life if it is a fake faith. And I would rather tell it to you right now, and I'm, I'm saying this lovingly, and I know this is going to hurt some of us, but I need to tell you that you need to examine your faith and determine whether you are really a Christian. How do you know you're really a Christian? Because when you trusted God, you repented at the same time. That's what John MacArthur calls a repentant faith. We need to understand that, that faith and repentance, they go together. They're not two things set apart. They go together. They are two sides of the coin. Well, let me just give you an illustration, for example. You see, what is repentance all about? It is turning away from sin, right? And what is faith? Faith is what? Turning to God. And so sometimes when we define it that way, we think in terms of two movements. A movement away from sin and a movement turning to God. But the truth of the matter is we're not talking about two movements here. We're talking about just one movement. Let me give you an illustration. For example, if I'm looking at the window right now, all right? I'm looking at the window right now. And I turn and take a look at the wall right now. How many movements did I make? Did I make two movements or did I make one movement? Let me ask it again. I'm staring at a window right now and I now turn to the wall. All right? So here I am. Here I am. I'm staring at the wall. I now turn and I look at the wall. How many movements did I make? Just one. That's what faith and repentance is all about. It's just one movement. It's not two movements. You don't just accept Jesus as Savior. You accept Him as Lord as well. When you fully trust in God, when you turn away from sin and turn to Christ, it's just one movement. 
So when you say, I've trusted Christ, and you're still a homosexual. When you say, I've turned to Christ, and you're still into drugs. When you turn to Christ, and you are still into pornography. Let me say this in love. You're not a Christian. You did not really put your faith in Christ. If you say, I put my trust in Christ and you're still an angry, bitter person. You're still a proud, lustful person. You're still a covetous person. You are not a Christian. And let me say that right now in the hope, and this is what John Piper said. John Piper said, we need to make fake Christians feel fake so that they might be saved. Let me say it again. We need to make the fake Christians feel fake so that they might be saved. And let me just tell you, it's not a difficult process. It's just one movement. Amen. Say one movement. Say one movement. Just one movement. Not two. One. Just one. So the big question is, to whom is this resource available? Exclusively to the Christian. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 verse 9, please. It says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Very simple. Are you a Christian? If you say yes, well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, the Bible says you are a Christian because you have the spirit of Christ living and dwelling inside of you. Now, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? The Bible says the spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. You know that you know that you are a believer. You know that you know that the spirit of Christ is within you because there is a witnessing. There is a bearing of witness in your spirit that you are a child of God. Now, let me ask you this question. Is there a witness in your heart right now that you possess the Holy Spirit? That you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? Now, if you have, that's good news for you. If you don't have that witness, it's still good news because now you can really repent. One movement. Turn away from sin, turn to Christ, not by your power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your work anyway, it's the work of God. But you have got to make that decision. Now when did we, we become indwelt by the Holy Spirit? The moment we put our trust in Christ. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 goes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's why we have to preach the gospel. If we don't preach the gospel, we can't, we can't be saved. It says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. 
So here's what happens. The moment I believe in Christ, that very moment, that very instant, automatically I receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to live in me forever. Not for some time. The Holy Spirit does not have an expiration date. He lives and dwells in me. Now let me just tell you this. The Holy Spirit is what distinguishes us from the world because what was the difference between you and your office mate? What's the difference between you and your schoolmate? What's the difference between you and your business partner? Here's the difference. You have the presence of God in you. Wherever you go, you carry the Holy Spirit with you. You bring the Holy Spirit with you. You're a carrier of the presence of God. And let me tell you this. That makes you special. Not because you're really special. Not because you're really deserving. But that makes you special because you happen to be a carrier of the presence of God. That thought in itself should bring reverence to God. That thought in itself should bring the fear of the Lord in our hearts. The thought that God lives and dwells in us cannot make us allow sin to stay long in our hearts. We've got to give it up. We've got to give up our bondages. We've got to give up all those bad attitudes that you and I have. We've got to let go of pride, of bitterness, of lust, and covetousness. We've got to let it go because we are a carrier of the Holy Spirit. Our body has become God's sacred temple. It doesn't get any better than that. That is your blessing. And that blessing, by the way, the seal, that deposit guarantees that when you die 20 years, 30 years from now, we don't know when that time would come, we will land in heaven. Not because we deserve it, but because Christ paid it all and the deposit is the Holy Spirit to guarantee that we will indeed go to be with Christ and see Him face to face. Hallelujah. Amen. So, what distinguishes us is the presence of the Lord. Even during the time of Moses, that's what he believed in. There was a time in the history of Israel when they were in the wilderness, that they were so stubborn, they were so stiff-necked, they were grumbling and complaining continually against Moses, against Aaron, against God. And God was exasperated and he said, I'm still going to fulfill my promise to Abraham. I'm still going to bring you to the land flowing with milk and honey. I, I, cannot, I cannot back down on my promise to Abraham. I made him an unconditional promise. So I'm going to send you. I'm going to bring you to the land of Canaan. But my presence will not be there. I will send my angel ahead to fight for you. But I will not be there. My presence will not go with you. Moses protested. And let's follow through from that story. Let's go to Exodus 33, beginning at verse 1, please. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hebites, and the Jebusites. Thank God, no parasites. 
Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. When I will not go with you, I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. And Moses said, no, Lord. If you're not going, you might as well not bring us there. And God heard the prayer of Moses and, and this is how God answered. Look at verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So Moses knew the, the, the great and supreme value of the presence of God. It was what distinguished them from other nations. What Moses was saying, Lord, we'll just be like the other nations that we dispossess. What's the difference between us and them? We'll just be the same. So Lord, don't do this, please. Let your presence go with us. And friends, you know, in a very real way, we have the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Could you say this, please? My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now let's ask this fundamental question. If I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, what does this resource or what is the measure of the power of this resource, the Holy Spirit, in my life? Well, we don't have to guess. Ephesians 1.19 and following states the kind of power, the quality of power that you and I have within us. Let me read. It says, And His incomparably great power, say power, for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ. Listen well how powerful this. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I hope you did not miss that. How powerful is this resource? So powerful that it is the same quality of power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now how powerful is that? Well, let me challenge you. Go to a funeral parlor and try to raise somebody from the dead. And I guarantee you, they won't wake up. Because only God can raise somebody from the dead. Amen? Only God can do that. Now get this. Get this. That same power is within you. Amen? That same power is within you. Now, when you and I ask for power, what do we normally think? 
Sometimes here's, here's our imagination when we're praying for power. When we're praying for power, it's just as if that power is, is, is from a distance. It is from heaven. And we're trying to pull it towards us. When we think in terms of that power, we think it's outside of us. May I suggest to you that when you think about that power, that you don't look up. And don't look outside yourself, but look to your chest. That's where the power is. Amen? Look to your chest. That is where the power is. Hallelujah. Amen? Give the Lord a big hand. That's where the power is. So don't think that you have to pull down the power of God so that you become strong and mighty and overcome temptation. Don't think that it's outside of you. Just look within. That power is inside of you. All you need to do is tap into that power and believe that power and you will be an overcomer. You will be more than a conqueror. Amen. You do not need to be in bondage to pornography you do not need to be a hateful angry person you do not need to be a lustful person you do not need to be in bondage because God has set you free and you have the power to live a powerful life don't shortchange yourself don't live as if you do not have Christ. Do not live as if that power is not within you. That's why if we're really going to be serious about this. There's going to, there's going to be a lot of repenting that needs to take place today. Now, I'm not speaking my word to you. I'm speaking God's word to you. I'm just, I'm just like this sound system over here. I mean, if, if I don't speak, these this speakers won't, won't speak. But that's just me. That's just me. If you make a comparison with, with God and myself, I'm just like that. This is God's word. And you better respect it. You better take it seriously. Because if you don't take this seriously, can I say this in love? You're a fake. You're not really a Christian. And I pray to God that with one movement today, you would turn over your life to Christ. Now what? can this resource produce in terms of practical living? From a historical standpoint, the first century believers understood the spirit to be manifested in power, always. That is why spirit and power were interchangeably used in the Bible. And let me just prove my point, and I will close with some verses of Scripture. Hopefully you can digest all of this. I'll begin with Luke 1, 35. Could you please take a look? It goes, The angel answered, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Luke 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. Power, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, power. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. There you go. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Romans 1 verse 4. And who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 3 verse 4. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles? Spirit, miracles. Spirit, power. Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit. Power, Spirit. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. So when you take a look at that, should we really be talking about a powerless, weak Christianity? When you think about that, should we be talking about a Christianity that has no impact in society? Are we going to talk about a Christianity that cannot make a change in families, in cities, and in nations. No, friends, everywhere I look, the Bible says that when the presence of the Holy Spirit is there, there's going to be power. Amen? God's power is always available. Amen? Through His Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit. Amen? You have it. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. If, if you made that one, one turn, that one movement of repentant faith to Christ. And you know if your life has changed. So, I presented a rather gloomy picture of what Cebu is like right now. But you know what? Things could change. With the presence of the Holy Spirit, a work of 30 years could be done in one day's time. But the question is, are we willing to yield to the Holy Spirit now in every moment of our lives? Because we are required to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an imperative in the Greek every single day of our lives. I'd like to end with two verses of Scripture. This would be your takeaways for today. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. It's not a matter of talk but of power. 
We're talking about real power. You know when you have experienced power. I mean, just try inserting a small, a small thing, maybe a piece of metal, and, and try to, to put that small piece of metal and, and try to plug it in, and you know what power looks like. Amen? You know what power looks like. And that's why, dear brothers and sisters, if you have the Spirit of God, you know what power looks like. You will never be the same. Amen? You will never, ever be the same. Give the Lord a big hand, please. So here's the punchline. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God's able to do more than we ask or even imagine. But don't stop there. Look at what the next sentence says. According to his power that is at work. Where? Where? Within us. Don't look up. Don't look Look outside, look to your chest. The power is there. Amen? Just pound your chest right now. Could you do that right now? Could you pound your chest? The power is here. Amen? The power is here. Hallelujah. The power is here. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. So let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Bow our heads. I would like to provide opportunity right now for the people who do not have Christ. Now, don't tell me you've been in this church for 30 years. It doesn't matter. Don't tell me that you've been reading your Bible or that you are even serving in ministry. All of that is irrelevant. What is really relevant is this. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Now, I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. And for you to have the Holy Spirit, you need repentant faith. One movement, not two movements, one movement. Believing that Christ died and paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and then repenting of your sins, asking the Holy Spirit to change you. You can't change yourself. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So in one swift movement, come to Christ and make him your personal Lord and Savior. Your name will be written in the book of life. And then you will be saved. And then your life will change. So if you feel that you want to do that today, you can do it at home, actually. You can pray on your own. But if you're looking for guidance for prayer, I can lead you in prayer. So just for me to find out how many here would like to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, please slip up your right hand to the Lord. Just raise it up really high. Don't be ashamed to, to identify yourself with Christ. Amen. Thank you for those those hands are being raised up right now. Amen. You can put them down right now. I'd like you to pray. 
But remember, it's not what comes out of your lips. It's what comes out of your heart that God listens to. So please pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. Cleanse me and wash me, Lord, from all unrighteousness. And from this day onwards, Lord, as I repent of my sins, I turn over my life to you in full surrender. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Cleanse and wash me from all my sins, past, present, and future. And Lord, make me the kind of person you want me to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to talk right now to those who consider themselves believers. But you know, deep down inside your heart, you're backslidden. You know that deep down inside, you've failed the Lord big time. People may not see it. People may not even notice it. But you know the Spirit of God is telling you right now there's something wrong in your life and that you need to fix it. Would you like a revival today? Would you like a personal, spiritual revival today? Would you like Christ to reign supreme and the Spirit of God to have His way upon us? I'd like to be able to pray for you. That's the only thing I can actually do after this sermon. So those who want a personal revival, just where you are seated, could you please stand up as a sign of faith that you want me to pray for you? And I will pray for you. I will pray that God would, would bring a spiritual revival in your heart. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Holy Spirit, this is your work. I cannot do anything apart from you. You have brought conviction to the hearts of your people. And my prayer simply, O oh God, is that you might move upon every person right now from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, O oh God. May you fill them with the Spirit of God. May the Spirit of God have full control of each and every life. I pray for a genuine conviction. And I pray for genuine repentance, Lord. I pray for genuine tears of repentance, Lord, taking place right now in the hearts of your people. I pray, Father, that as the, the Spirit of God has been grieved, they too might grieve and mourn for their sins, that they might be comforted. I pray, dear Lord, that you might bring freshness, bring a refreshing, Lord, upon 
souls, upon our hearts, O God. Let our faith come alive, O Father. Jesus, let the Spirit of God just move in a special and in a mighty way, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We trust that the Spirit of God is beginning to do His work and will continue to do so. For we believe what your Word says, that He who began a good work in us will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. So Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for awakening our hearts from spiritual slumber. And we just pray, Father, that this will not be a one-time thing, but this will be the normal way we'll live our lives, filled and empowered by the Spirit. Thank you also that we could worship you and give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them once again for the glory of your holy name. And would you be so kind to bless us for the sake of your kingdom. Whatever has been achieved today, we give you back the glory, the praises, and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand.